know you're probably saying, yes, Pastor, every Sunday I listen to your sermon and we're wondering, what are you talking about? No, no, not that. I mean, just like you're, you, you missed the point. Like you knew what the point was and you just missed the point. I mean, you get distracted by something that diverts your attention from really what is most important to you. I think if we're honest, this is probably a daily occurrence for all of us. We get distracted by the task of the day, the things that we have to do that's on our to-do list and forget about what is most important in the day. Perhaps we get distracted by the luxuries of life, the comforts of the world, and we forget what is most important. Or we get distracted by our physical needs, our bodies kind of warning us that we are dying or decaying or the stresses of this world. And we forget what is most important. If I were to title a movie about my life, it would be this. An Adventure in Missing the Point. A Day in the Life of Pastor Tracy. At the time, I think that's the summation of our lives. Day in and day out. A day in the life of so-and-so. Fill in your name. Adventures in Missing the Point. I mean, this is politicians, right? Politicians, they campaign on actually distracting you from the point. They obfuscate, they misdirect, they never answer questions directly, and they never want you on the main issue. They want you on the issue that they want to talk about, and they think they can win on. This is actually one of Satan's prime tactics in our life, to distract us with something that seemingly is good and probably is good but really isn't the main point or is not the most important thing. We do this as as corporately as a church often. One of the seasons that we we celebrate, most churches, is Advent. Right? In Advent, we corporately miss the point most of the time. You know, Advent was first celebrated in the 5th and 6th century by Spaniards. And the reason why they they set it up, it was not a, a, a season before Christmas. It was actually a season before Epiphany. And it was to prepare your hearts and to prepare with penance to think about the coming of Epiphany. And Epiphany celebrated a couple of things, right? It was the baptism of our Lord, which we're going to have a baptism today, right? And so part of that season of Advent was to prepare your hearts for those that were going to be baptized in 40 days at Epiphany, was to have a season of penance. Prepare yourself to be baptized. Prepare yourself to be part of the body of Christ. It was also to celebrate the miracle of Canaan, the water to wine, the visit by the Magi. Is a season of penance. And then later in the 6th century, the Romans turned it into a, a season to celebrate the coming of Christ, to prepare your hearts for not his first coming, but his second coming, eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus. And in our Western society, we have turned, and in our churches, we have turned Advent into a season of preparation of parties, Christmas, the first coming of Christ, the incarnation. We've commercialized it. We've turned fall into a season of preparation of Christmas, and pumpkin spice. Advent, most, and most things in our lives, 
is an adventure in missing the point. So what is the point? What is the point that we're missing? John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is the point. The Word, the Logos, which we learned last week, the speech of God, the meaning and purpose of the whole universe. That's the point. Jesus. Not only that, but He came to pitch His tent with us, to dwell with us, to be with us. More specifically, to dwell with us, to reconcile us, to reconcile the world to Him so He can be in proper relationship, so we can be with Him forever and ever, to come and to take on our sin, to take on our penalty for sin, to die for us so we could be with Him and have life. He enters into darkness to bring light. He enters into a world of death to bring life. That's the point of every day. Jesus. Jesus is the point. And the point of every one of our days is just like John, is to bear witness and testify to him so others may believe and trust in him. So here's the situation in this passage. John is in the wilderness. He's proclaiming and bearing witness to Jesus, which is his purpose, which is the point of everything. And then the religious leaders find out about this because John is drawing huge crowds. So the religious leaders, the Pharisees, which we just know that, that they are them, and they're the ones, when it says, when when. John says the Jews, he's talking about the Pharisees, particularly the Pharisees that don't believe Jesus, that don't know the God who has pitched his tent in this world. And they sent out a few people to say, to find out John, who is he? What authority is he doing these things? And why is he doing these things? So these same people which, which John talks about, he says in John 1, 11, 12, and he came to his own, Jesus, and his own people did not receive them. So these people who did not receive Jesus are now come out to testify, to say, like, John, what are you doing? Who are you and why are you doing these things? Why are you drawing all these crowds? And why are they going to find out what John's doing? First of all, right, because he's drawing large crowds. And first of all, because he seems to be a prophetic voice. And here's the situation. For 400 years, God has been silent with his people. There has not been a prophet in 400 years to the people of Israel. And so when they think they heard a prophetic voice, when this voice is drawing people in big crowds into the wilderness, we need to find out what's going on. We need to, at best you could say, the best you can say about these Pharisees or why they're sending is they want to know if God is speaking. They want to know if the prophecy, if there's a prophet speaking and God has finally broken his silence. The worst you could say is they want to silence John because he's drawing crowds away from them. Because the people are flocking to them. They're drawing prestige away from them. Do you know the last time God spoke to the Israel before John the Baptist? It was the prophet Malachi. 
He was the last one to speak to the people of Israel. In verse 19, they asked John, who are you? And the subtext of this question, which you can find out later in the the verse, they're asking him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah that God has promised? And if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? Are you the Elijah that, that Malachi promised? The last prophecy in the Old Testament is Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Think about this. This is the last time God has made a prophecy to Israel that he will send Elijah back to them. And then for 400 years, he's silent. And then they ask, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you, are you one of the prophets? Who are you? And Jesus says about John later, what does he say? He actually says, Matthew eleven thirteen 13 to says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, that 400 period. And if you're willing to accept it, he, John the Baptist, is Elijah. Now, he's not literally Elijah. He's not Elijah reincarnated. What Jesus is saying, because John tells him, like, I'm not Elijah. I'm not Christ. And that's from John's perspective, because he's not. He's John. But Jesus is telling you, hey, listen, I'm the one who prophesies this. This is what this prophecy means in Malachi 4, that John is the fulfillment of this prophecy. He is the one that broke God's silence. He is Elijah. He is the spiritual role of Elijah. John the Baptist doesn't miss the point of these questions. He doesn't miss the point of the questions when they ask him, are you the Christ? Are you a prophet? Are you Elijah? And this is what he responds. He confessed and did not deny, but says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I am not your Savior. I am not your Messiah. And in verse 22, they ask again, who are you? What do you have to say for yourself? It's almost as if they're a parent chiding a child, right? Like, how dare you? Who do you think you are? The Pharisees, like us, are living a life of missing the point. Right? This, is, this, this whole chapter be adventures and missing the point, the Pharisees. Right? They're a good company, and we're a good company. Look at the reality is God has been silent for them, except for, cough, cough, he left his word for them. Right? They had the whole testament. They had God's prophecies, and they were the ones that were supposed to understand it, and they were the ones that were supposed to prepare the people for the fulfillment of these prophecies. The problem was, just like you and I, the things of the world, the power of the world, the issues of the world, became more important than God's word, than God's point, than God's message. It was to prepare yourself. They wanted to know who John was and what was John the Baptist doing. And John redirects them again. In John 1.23, he says, he answers them, right? They ask him again. He says, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I mean, he quotes a prophecy in Isaiah. It says, this is my role. 
to make straight the way of the king, to make straight the way of the one true king, God himself. And here's the thing. It was the Pharisees' job to do this, to prepare the people for the coming king. And John says, listen, this is my job. In the midst of their exile, Isaiah gives this prophecy, right? In the midst of the exile, Isaiah gives the prophecy to Israel. And he says, listen, I have sent you out. I have kicked you out of your land. Why? Because your king, Hezekiah, decided to brag about all the things that I have given the people, my people. Showed them all the treasures. And in the midst of this prophecy in Isaiah that's prepared the way God says, listen, even though I'm throwing you in exile, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to save you. I'm going to score you. But you need to prepare the way for the one true king. And he's not talking about a human king. He's talking about the one true king. This is your job. I'm going to send someone to prepare the way. And what does he say? It's a royal procession. Right, a king is coming back to his city from far and distant lands. And so they got to celebrate, a, make a party. You don't just say, hey, it's the king, welcome back. No, you celebrate a party. Right, you start, you see, see that, that dirt road, you start, we better pave that dirt road. We better make this way to the entrance for it. it's a royal procession into the city and through the city. This is a major construction project. We're going to level the mountains. We're going to fill in the valleys. We're going to pave the way. We're going to make it easy for the Lord can just come on in. Our king can just come on. I mean, this is a gigantic, major construction project. You think the big dig was big. This is John's role. He says, listen, we got work to do. We're not just waiting. We are preparing. And of course, it's not an external preparing, isn't it? It's an internal preparing. John is saying, look, I am preparing the way for the return of God. The logos. The reason and purpose of the universe. John is warning us and he's preparing us for Jesus. The return of the coming king. And how does he do that? What's his message? Tells you in Matthew, tells you in Mark, Matthew 3, 2, repent. You want to know what your construction project is? Repent, for the king is coming, and so is his kingdom. Repent. You want to, you want to level some mountains in your life? Repent. You want to fill in some holes in your life? Repent. And this is not, I'm not talking about, man, this is a workspace righteousness that we have to do all these. No. This is the response to knowing of God's forgiveness and grace and his presence is to turn back to him. It's the response when light comes into your life that you realize that you have been in darkness the whole time. And here's the thing. You and I are in darkness. And God's light is leading us. This world is darkness. This is nothing compared to the reality of the coming king and his kingdom. Right? C.S. Lewis describes this in his book, The Great Divorce. He says, all this, this is like a dream. This is a sub-reality compared to the true reality 
of the kingdom of heaven. And so when he talks about this, that people that are from this earth that actually begin to walk in the kingdom of heaven, it hurts their feet to walk on the grass because the grass is so real and they are so unreal that it pierces them. That's what it's like. This is the shadowlands. This is the darkness. We need to prepare the way in our hearts. Repent and realize that you and I, every day, we miss the point. And we think this darkness is more important. Still confused, still missing the points, the Pharisees ask in verse 25. If you're not the Christ, <laughs> if you're not Elijah, I know you said you quote Isaiah, prepare the way. If you're not Elijah, if you're not a prophet, why are you baptizing? Why are, what are you doing, and why are you doing this, John, this strange practice? And here's the thing, baptism, this is not an Old Testament practice. There's no account of baptism in the Old Testament. This is not something John is like, well, I'm going to do this. But here's the thing, this practice of baptism started to happen between the, the prophet Malachi, his last prophecy, and to this point now, is this kind of, this momentary thing that people, that the Israelites started to do, and the reason why they did it? It was because they were doing baptism for Gentiles. They're bringing them in to be with the people of God. And because Gentiles, non-Israelites, were unclean, so baptism was a cleaning ceremony to symbolically show that they're clean, and now they're, they're turning to God and turning to God's people, they're becoming part of the faith. And so a person that was a Gentile, they baptized themselves. Because an Israelite would never baptize a Gentile because they were unclean. Because they had to become clean and then repent and become part of the community. Then they were clean. Ceremonial cleaning is what baptism And a markation that, hey, you are part of the covenant community of God. And so what is John doing? John is baptizing. But he's not baptizing Gentiles. He takes this practice and he preaches to the Jews, to the Israelites, and he tells them, repent. And baptizes them. What he's telling them is, you are unclean. You are not ready. You are not ready for the king. You think you're the child of God, but you're dirty. You're sinful. Something needs to happen. And he's baptizing them. He's willing to touch people that he thinks is unclean. Because here's what John the Baptist knows. He's unclean. He's got work to do. He's telling God's people to repent. You can begin to understand why the Pharisees were confused by all of this. John, why are you baptizing us? Why are you calling God's people to be clean? We're already clean. We're part of God's people. And what John is really trying to say is that you and I are not ready. Repent. We've got work to do. And the king is coming. In fact, John is actually saying, the king's here. I mean, he hasn't revealed himself yet, but the king is here. The logos is here. And then John really Ham hits the hammer on the nail of the head. He literally digs this in with his people. And John 1, 26, 27, this is what he says. John answers them and says, look at, 
I baptize with water. But among you stands the one who you do not know, referring to that earlier verse in John, right? The one you don't receive, the one you don't recognize, the one you're blind to. And the, listen what he says. Even he who comes after me, John says, even he, the king who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Okay, that makes sense. But I want you to really understand what John is telling everyone. And normally, right, the strap of the sandal, it's, it's, this is an idiom, right? Disciples of a rabbi, disciples of teacher, of a teacher, right? They would walk and come under and they would live under that rabbi, that teacher, which Jesus is a rabbi. He would come under them. All right, I'm getting a different camera view. Okay, I'm getting a different camera. So they would come under him and they would learn everything. But they would also be the servant of that rabbi. So someone who is a disciple would be a servant of that rabbi, and they would do all his, they would clean his clothes, they would do everything as asked, right? Wash the, whatever. They were that servant of that rabbi. And the difference between that servant and a slave, because they were slaves, there was a difference, is that that, at least that, that disciple actually got to learn and got to know what that rabbi was teaching. And the rabbi would never ask his disciple to clean his feet. Never. They were never asked that rabbi to clean his feet because the feet are dirty and gross because they wore sandals, dust, and who knows what stepping in, right? Dirty. But a slave would. They would ask a slave to clean your feet. And what John is saying, I'm not worthy to the be the, the logos is, I'm not worthy to be Jesus' disciple, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave. That is incredible what John is saying. And here's the thing, right? We know, right? Fast forward. What is this one who we're not even worthy to clean his feet, to touch his feet? What, is this, what does this Jesus do? He's the one that takes his disciples' feet at the Last Supper and washes them. You can understand now why Peter's going crazy when he does this. Like, you can't do this. I'm not even worthy to touch your feet, Lord. John says, listen, I am preparing the way for the one. And part of that is recognizing who we are. Living in darkness. Broken people hurt people in darkness. John says, I'm not even worthy to be his slave. But this is the good news. This is the good news that God loves us so much that he's willing to come into this world to reside with us unworthy, not even to be slaves and be reconciled with him. And John is saying to the Pharisees, listen, you're not even worthy either because I need to baptize you. I need to baptize you in repentance. We all need to repent and even God's people need to repent. There's a deep brokenness in us and that sin, that is a heart that's turned against him. And the good news, right, is equal that God is actually changing this heart. And this is the point. This is the point at which John is saying, Jesus is here. 
The Logos is here. Repent. Prepare yourself for this extraordinary grace that's about to break in and to reveal itself. This extraordinary grace which turns hearts, which turns minds. Prepare yourself for this. Don't miss the point. Don't waste your days and time focused on other things. Listen, we have like this important election coming up, right? And a lot of us get consumed with all these things. Here's what I would tell you. I know the politicians, I know the pundits will tell you something else, that this is the most important election ever. And every four years I hear this, but here's what I am going to tell you. It has nothing, nowhere compared to the importance of this fact. Jesus is here. Repent. Prepare your heart. Coming kingdom right now. That's the most important thing every day, every moment. And I know you and I get distracted. I know today we'll walk out of this building and we'll get distracted by the things that we have to do. Do those things. We have to do them, right? Well, some of them we have to do. Enjoy the things that God gives you. But don't forget the point. Don't forget the reason for the day. Prepare yourself. Wake up and repent. Jesus is here. The point is here. We know, you and I know, that Jesus has already come for the first time. And we live in this moment where we live in this world where this world distracts us. And it's been, you know, 2,000 years and like, when is he going to come? Like, well, it's going to be 2,000 more. We don't know that. And the disciples, they lived every day and every moment that it will be any moment. And that was the point. Jesus was trying to say, it will be any moment and you do not know. So be prepared. This world would distract us from the point of Jesus. Particularly that he is coming back to usher in completely, perfectly, and for last, his coming kingdom. The end of our journey is almost here. The end of our journey of missing the point is almost done. So prepare today. We prepare to and we enter in into our anticipate campaign. This eagerly awaiting. This is a good reminder for us that this is the point of our campaign. That we are eagerly anticipating our Lord today. And we're going to prepare our hearts today. We're going to wake up today and stop missing the point. Stop missing the point of the gift of today, which is to prepare. And Micah 7 7 is our theme verse in our Anticipate campaign that's going to be launching in two weeks, right? Micah 7 7. That as for me, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for my God. And what is this waiting? And what is this look? How does John describe it? He says, prepare. Prepare a highway. Prepare a highway in your heart. Level the mountains. Fill in the valleys. And prepare God for entering in. Right now. And also, prepare it for others. And how do you prepare others? Right? You don't, you don't chide them for their sin. You inform them of the grace that is coming. 
You inform them of the undeserved grace and forgiveness that is radical. Martin Luther King Jr. says this. He said, forgiveness, and I'm going to misquote, but it's going to a summary of this quote. Forgiveness is not just a, a moment or, or an action. It is a constant attitude. Can you and I think about every day that forgiveness is our constant attitude? Man, but that's God's attitude towards us. Because it's his love. It's his grace. It's who he is. We prepare others by pointing to who Jesus is, the point of the universe, with our words and with our actions. So our, day is, it, it, our day is to bear testimony really to ourselves and to our neighbors and to the world that Jesus is here and he's coming again. The king is coming and so is his kingdom. Prepare today and tomorrow like Jesus is coming over. And I'm not talking about get your house all straightened out, make sure the good dishes are out. That's not what he cares about. Get your life in order. Get your heart in order and stop being distracted by the things of the world and be focused on the point of every day, Jesus. Let's be a people that prepare, that wait, that look with eager anticipation that Jesus is coming. More so, the realization that he's here right now. The point and the reason of the whole universe, Jesus. Don't miss the point of today and don't miss it tomorrow if you're granted tomorrow. Let us pray. Gracious Father,